This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, where people from our firm share their insights on developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. Today's episode is about the digitization of finance, and there's no better person to talk about it than Don Duet, the co-head of our technology division. Don, welcome to the program. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Don, we're in an era of widespread digital disruption. The way we shop, the way we commute, the way we pay each other. Technology is bringing tremendous change to almost every human activity. What are some of the key drivers behind this surge in innovation, and how is it affecting businesses? Well, I've been at Goldman Sachs for 27 years, always in technology, and I have to say it's just phenomenal for me to have seen, obviously, how important technology has been to our industry and to our firm, but just really seeing the escalation that's been occurring in the last several years. And you know, we think that there are a number of different themes behind that, what's driving that, that are secular. One very important one is just the amount of literacy and comfort level there is in the world today around technology, where it's such a core part of everyone's life, where it's become just inevitable that you're picking up your phone the first thing you do in the morning, that you're finding that much of what you do from an entertainment perspective, a shopping perspective, your social perspective, is it all evolving around technology, and that's just changing the way people think, and of course that bleeds over into the workplace as well, because people are people and institutions are made up of individuals. So we see that that's one of the biggest macro trends that's occurring in the world today. That's just, just fueling more and more. acceptance of technology across the board. Acceptance, and... desire, empowerment, you know, who wants to go back to ordering things and waiting days, months, weeks when you can get information, get devices, get solutions online right away, if you can manage your music yourself. It's just the empowerment of technology that's really kind of now made it into the mainstream is just hugely enabling and enabling change because the perceptions and the desires and how people want to work today are just increasingly different, but largely different because they're being fueled by people's capability through technological innovation that's been happening in everybody's world, but certainly in the consumer landscape in particular. So you've talked about how technology is pervasive in everyone's life, but the younger generations, millennials and Gen Z, are often described as digital natives, people who grew up using technology at a young age and have a certain natural sophistication with it. How much of these changes you've described are being driven by that generational shift and by young people's expectations for a digital solution to virtually everything? We think it's certainly the tip of the spear, for sure. Even at Goldman, as we think about as we bring in you know, new, younger people into our environment, into the firm, they expect and demand everything to be available online and digital. And so we're certainly seeing that advent of this whole new generation that have born digital, grew up in the age of the internet. But I would say we're also seeing that it's just much, it's not that narrow, it's also broader. You know, the growth in solutions like many of the large social networks that are happening at the baby booner generation and the Gen Z generation that we're seeing, not just the born native community, but we're seeing that it's a broad-based acceptance and shift into technology that's happening again, that's then spurring interesting changes in the dynamics of how we interact with our clients and their expectations of us and the way that we think about the solutions we provide here at the firm and to our own employees. So one big driver of change has been open source approach that's really transformed the way a lot of technology companies innovate. It seems almost counterintuitive that a collaborative approach like open source would have a big impact in the business world, particularly the financial world, but it is, including here at Goldman Sachs. Talk a little bit about our approach to open source and why we think it makes sense for enterprise solutions. I think one of the other macro trends that we think is really driving this whole new digital agenda 
is just the impact that has been had of just the change in innovation and the cost of innovation, broadly speaking. And so open source is certainly one big component of that, the ability to gain access to very complex solutions, whether it be software or hardware solutions in the open community that in the past you'd have to purchase or pay for, or the ability to get and tap into the internal expertise of the engineering groups at many of the big, large web firms who are now providing open source solutions as a regular part of how they embrace change and drive their own business agenda. Open source has created a whole new basis for enabling the innovation to become simpler and cheaper and lower cost, which enables people to be able to get more solutions and more business innovation complete. But stepping us back for a moment, one thing that I think surprises people often about our industry is just how community-driven it actually is. So you know, very few things actually occur in the world of finance or certainly in the institutional markets that we operate within, which is just Goldman Sachs to a single counterpart. There's many different players involved. There are many different processes in the cycle of doing both pre-trade all the way through post-trade execution. And so there's a natural supply chain and community that is there. Now, much of that over many years of investment has moved into what we would think of as a structured uh, digital model. And so there's a lot of information, there's tremendous investment in technology that's gone into the banking sector for decades. But the opportunity to really take that forward through things like open source or really embracing more community style technology architectures is something that really does both fit to the model of our business, but also enables us to not think about just institutional gain, but really kind of network gain and community scale gain. People think oftentimes of banks as being sort of a closed source model, that, that yes. banks have their own special sauce and their own special technology, but really for the marketplace to work, you're saying, it really needs to be one that everyone is using similar tools, similar solutions. Similar, at least in the basis of being able to move information in a digital form, and more and more we're finding that the ability to move that forward as a community creates the basis for material reduction and friction of our business. And material which, gain, which in obviously means lower cost for everyone. Lower cost, better experiences. So, as an example, you know, there's an initiative which Goldman Sachs was part of, that's called Symphony, where we were able to take a set of services and software that we had developed internally, for really enabling multi-party type chat solutions for our own business and for our own customers, and really work to do two things: one, to open source the software and make it freely available for the world to use. And then secondly, to work with the financial community to develop a new entity that's going to provide effectively for the first time ever open and secure messaging fabric for certainly our industry, but for any industry that wants to use it. And why is that important? Well, it enables us then to begin to move to where we can imagine not just the basics of sending messages between institutions to becoming secure and open, but then to develop on top of that even more value-added solutions, things like the ability to know that this really is the person that you claim to be because we could have a much more technological model for authorization and entitlement to be able to move to where you can imagine building applications um, that really provide for much more of a workflow like an app store you'd find today in your smartphone environment. So really creating the basis for the entire community to move to more of a enabled digital model that starts with having that base layer of infrastructure which is a core open and secure solution for messaging that starts at the center of that. Let's talk a little bit about something Goldman did last summer along these lines. Mm -hmm. uh, the firm made some news when we announced that we were going to open source certain trading technologies, which again, some people think of as very proprietary. How do you think about what kinds of offerings we have that we're going to make 
more broadly available to the financial community? Yeah, I think that we really take a view today that we've first and foremost have benefited enormously ourselves from open source. That when you look into our environment, when you think how much of our internal software is what is running on, that you know, open source, whether it be you know starting with the open source of operating systems through Linux, through to open source hardware with the open compute project that was begun with Facebook, but we've been a core member of, through to you know many different components of our stack that are now principally open source that we continue to find that creates great benefit. For us, you know, the challenge with being a contributor beyond a intellectual contributor has been what types of assets would be useful to everyone. Because many parts of our businesses are very specialized in nature and may not really have all that much broad value. But things like we described, like Symphony, parts of our trading infrastructure, create opportunities for us to contribute to the open source, which gives us the ability to help everyone in the environment and the community improve, which fundamentally does help our business at the end of the day. You know, our ability to conduct business on behalf of our customers in as effective and efficient a manner as possible becomes more and more constrained in a globally connected world by everyone's ability to have the capabilities to deliver technology services. And so we find that it creates outsized impact for us to have that position. So there's a little debate around the impact of technology in the industry. Some see the whole financial services sector as just ripe for disruption and that the new entrants will really take big market share from the traditional banks. Others say the traditional banks are very quick to adapt and that they're going to stay on top of what's happening out there and make sure that their customers are getting the latest and greatest technology and experience. So where do you sit? How do you think about digitization being a threat to traditional banking? I think it's a very interesting, very complex debate. And on one hand, banks have been investing for a very long time in technology. And so much of our core franchise businesses of the banks are already very technologically driven. So the more classical story of someone coming in as a digital player and disrupting a highly analog business like we've seen in commerce and other parts of the retail market spectrum is much less likely in the financial sector, given that there is already so much of a deep investment in technology and it becomes a very core competency and really everyone who participates. And you know, banks have also relatively deep moats, if you want to use that term, in terms of both the regulatory requirements that are necessary to operate in our businesses, the focus on compliance, and the underlying sets of controls that are needed in order to expensive protect. Most. Uh, expensive it, So It takes a lot of money, at least, to replicate what you need to do just to stay in the right side of the and, law. And, and, and there's compliance. a lot of expertise. I mean, a lot of our businesses are very complex, and you could argue whether that's good or bad, healthy or unhealthy, but the expertise that's necessary to participate in many of our markets can be quite high, particularly in things like derivatives and risk management so I think that's kind of the bare side of the debate. On the bull side, for fintech, I think you talk about and you see both, first and foremost, an enormous amount of investment dollars going into these companies. I think over the last five years, over $23 billion was put into, in terms of venture and equity capital, into what we Yeah, people obviously see an opportunity. They the see an opportunity. the size of that opportunity and where will the disruptors sort of that's gain right. footholds in the traditional... I think what we tend to see is that the most interesting opportunity tends to be that, again, through these technological secular changes, that we're seeing the historical model of banking being a relatively closed loop model, which was driven around things like your physical branch networks, um, becoming very disaggregated. So the opportunity to go in and imagine having 
a relationship with a new entity that may not be your historical bank for things like a loan or something like a mortgage now becomes much more reasonable given that you're executing this online. You're not executing it by walking down the street or driving to your you're bank. And so this, this aggregation opportunity creates very interesting spectrum for new entrants to come in and say, can I pick the particular market segment and the particular customer segment and find ways to create great innovations that make it um, simpler, perhaps, and more efficient for customers. And so we see that really as being the interesting secular change. And we see a lot of the fintech companies, therefore, are really focused on that side of the equation, how to really disrupt the sales and origination cycles, since A, that's where most of the profitability tends to be versus the credit intermediation. And they're just easier in some ways, and they're simpler and have less of those challenges, those moats, as we described earlier. So a lot of opportunities, a lot of interesting things. I think from our perspective at Goldman, you know, our focus is twofold. One, how do we continuously innovate ourselves, both in the markets that we're in, as well as as we think about the opportunities that could be there to extend our existing franchises, businesses. And then secondly, how do we embrace the new economy that's forming around us? And so what types of opportunities are there to take the solutions and services that we believe we have um, very good solutions around and begin to not just look at our classical customer base, but also look at new ways to extend those product and services as we see this new digital economy start to come together. So you've talked a little bit about how Goldman Sachs is adapting. How do you think about, though, that process of continual technological innovation, particularly in an industry that in some ways has been doing the same thing for a long time, financial intermediation between borrowers, savers, and and the like? I think it's hard. I mean, I think there's no question that transforming an existing business is a much harder challenge in some ways than building a new business. Building a new startup and a new app. Right, exactly. And I think that, you know, what we try to do, and I think where we see and learn from people who seem to be best at this, is just to really both think about technology as fundamentally a business competency for the organization. And then think about change as a continuum that, you know, we are constantly looking at ways to reinvest in improving customer experiences. We're constantly looking at new ways to think about how to facilitate for the types of data and computing and processing that we have to make it more efficient by working with large web firms and understanding how they do things. And so I think you need to create a culture that is continuously innovating in order to facilitate for that. But I don't pretend that it's easy to do. And as you mentioned, when you get into a system that's well-defined and has been in place for many, many, many years, as much of the financial services systems have, it's hard to drive that innovation from within. We've talked a lot about the upside, I guess, in many ways, improved experience for customers, clients, better network effects. Let's talk a little bit about the risks around technology, the interconnectedness of the world is one where threats can also come from anywhere. And so how has technology changed the way we approach our management of those risks? Well, as you say, I mean, the risks obviously continue to grow in many different dimensions. I mean, there's certainly the pure risk around cyber security, the advanced persistent threats. How are you able to protect your digital assets and the data, importantly? that really rides on those. And as we continue to see the industry move forward in a digital form, that means that more and more of our information, services, content is going to be in places that we don't physically control or own. And so how do we really work with the emerging public infrastructure to ensure that we can 
at the minimum project our risk profile and postures there, but ideally be able to partner with that part of the community to help us develop better solutions that are inherently more secure and create better protection. But the surface area of where we will have content, where we'll have data, where we're going to have application services is only going to grow over time, which means the threats are going to grow. And so I think that we look at and, cyber. And the need for collaboration is going to need continue for to grow because we're not going to control it all on our own. Absolutely. I think then that's a very server farm key yeah. awareness point, I think, for all of us in the community is that you need to co-invest, you need to develop partnerships, you need to be able to help influence and create awareness of why security really does matter to parts of the industries that may not necessarily see that as clearly as we do coming at things from a financial services perspective. And so a lot of our agenda in technology over the last several years has really been aligned to that of how do we move our own firm forward in terms of embracing and adopting more parts of the public infrastructure spectrum, be more engaged in open standards and solutions and across the broader technological community to help influence change and awareness of solutions and services that will enable our business to perform better in a digital world. But those risks continue to grow. All the great innovation that we talked about earlier that helps reduce the cost of solutions and services is available to people with bad intent as well as it's available to people with good. And it's a continuous struggle to ensure that we're designing in both the technology solutions, but also in how we develop awareness and how our people access information to ensure that we're controlling and we're supporting information from a security perspective. That's a, a continuous challenge. We also need to be aware that as we digitize more of our industry, that more and more of the operational risks that we would historically have thought of as perhaps being in a human form are now more and more into data and software and computing. And so we focus a lot on how do we control the way we build software, deliver software, control data, support it, protect it, think about planning for contingencies, et cetera, et cetera. Because again, the principal vector now for failure is becoming more and more technology than it was. Yeah, the implications are much broader too. Much broader. So let's talk a little bit about one area of collaboration in the industry that's got people very excited, sometimes maybe a little overexcited, but a lot of talk about the potential for blockchain to revolutionize financial transactions, particularly on the institutional side. What does blockchain actually do, or what does it have the potential to do, and how far away are we from seeing this in everyday application in sort of the back-end processing of the financial industry? Blockchain is a cryptographically secure ledger. So it's an ability to provide a decentralized way of different institutions looking at the same information in a way that doesn't require it to be in a single place. And so it enables us to really look at solutions where we have a common sense of truth and be able to bring that into a digital forum that's both secure as well as it's comprehensive and it's a consensus based And that would obviate the need to do what you do today bilaterally. Yes, if you think about much of the industry that we operate in, as we mentioned earlier, there's many different parts and many different counterparts in any type of transaction. At the center of much of the financial services world are effectively you know, many sources of record where asset transfers of different types of assets need to be recorded and understood. And those are very distributed because there are, again, many different players and many different people involved or counterparts. In order to facilitate the growth of our industry, much of that has been formed around concepts of having multiple sources or you know multiple parties owning a definition of truth. So the Bank of New York will own 
a big part of the reconciling of the ledger of who owns what stocks in the U.S. and so would other institutions around the world. But you end up where, because of the structure of the environment, in large part given the technological capabilities as it was being designed and created over the last several decades, that you have this situation where you have multiple versions of the truth, which means that everyone needs to reconcile with each other to ensure that they all have the right set of information of who actually owns that asset, when did it get transferred. And it also creates a certain degree of just temporal delay. It's not possible to be done right away. You know, blockchain, because it's not immediately visible to all. It's not immediately visible to all. There's the need to transfer the awareness and knowledge, which is quite federated and that introduces just essentially delay. And so there's lots of opportunity for tracking error where maybe someone missed a change or didn't update it correctly. And so you introduce a lot of inefficiencies to some degree in the process, again, relative to what we see today with solutions like blockchain, which for the audience who may not have heard about blockchain before is the core technology that underpins much of Bitcoin. And so the ability to have a technological solution that enables multiple counterparts to see and enact upon the same understanding of truth on an asset transfer in a way, again, that's immutable, that's protected, that uses cryptology to make sure that you can't go back and change something inappropriately, creates a new way to envision the way that we do many parts of the financial industry, particularly, again, in places where we have multiple parties wanting to have a single version of truth. So we think it's quite interesting. So you could see a chain of custody with essentially timestamps, so you can see exactly where the asset was and who owned it at any certain point in time. You could see who had it, who owned it, the fact that they actually committed to each other electronically and signed it with cryptology to ensure that it was authorized. You could see all those things, and importantly, again, by having that all being done in a set of digital transactions, it enables it to happen in a much shorter time frame. So it also reduces a lot of what today are the delays which create other types of risk in the settlement cycles which need to be compensated for in other forms. So it's exciting, it's interesting. I think that you know you could ask the question of, well, why couldn't this have been designed before? And I think that that's a very valid question. I think part of what we find, or I certainly find personally, very exciting about this is just the awareness. I think the awareness that's happened within the financial community, that there is a technological answer that can help drive change and improve our system is just very encouraging. So Don, beyond blockchain, what are other emerging technologies that we're seeing transform other industries that could have a big impact in this industry? What are you most excited about? So a couple things, you know, we are deeply investing in data. You know, we see that the ability to take data and help turn it into information as an asset is a core part of our strategy. It's a very important both technological strategy for the firm as well as business strategy and helping us move to a better degree of data-driven businesses as well as really deriving expertise, content, and knowledge of information. So that's an area we've been investing quite a bit in. So data science, moving data beyond science, instinct and gut to... Data architecture, yep. getting the ability to have massive scale, very large scale query and analysis of information to really produce knowledge. And so that's a very interesting space, as well as machine learning, you know, which obviously is something where we're really, I think, at the very beginnings in the world of recognizing and seeing how you can take AI, artificial intelligence, and really provide business applications around it. But that's an area that we're also investing quite actively in, and how do we really find opportunities to use AI solutions and machine learning solutions to help us improve existing processes, to help us become smarter at our business, help us serve clients better. And so those are two areas that we're deeply investing in at this point. 
So you run a big division here at the firm. It's probably the biggest in terms of just sheer numbers. A division like that needs fresh blood all the time, and there are a lot of options for young technologists coming out of school or, or in their first several jobs. They have a lot of opportunity. What's your pitch when you're talking to a young person, technologically savvy, wants to work on technology issues, wants to be part of something big? How do you tell them to come, hey, you should come work here at <laughs> Goldman Sachs and finance? Well, I think first and foremost, as you mentioned, we are a big part of the firm. And I think that's a great selling point for anyone that's an aspiring it's technologist. It's not a back office job. It's, it's, it's a core it's, it's at the core of the firm. It's yeah. at the core of the firm. It's a core competency across all parts of the organization, not just the technology division. And it's a meaningful opportunity we see and where we find that we are able to acquire great individuals, entrepreneurial individuals, technologists, to really come and help us is because we have great opportunity. The challenges in front of us are non-trivial. The complexity of our products and our solutions and the markets we operate within are enormously challenging. As we mentioned before, we've been investing in technology for over two decades. And it creates a great opportunity, therefore, for great technologists to come and join us and actually work on both very hard and technically complex challenges, but work on that in the context of a changing business, which is really kind of unique and it's kind of fun. And the ability to be an entrepreneur who can really help us find opportunities to disrupt and change our structure, help find ways to help change the way that Goldman Sachs interfaces with our clients through very applied technological solutions. We think that there's a great set of opportunities that we find you know, is really helping drive. I think part of what we also see is that the ability for us to be in a position of leadership is very important, very compelling as we work to bring people to our firm. And so being able to take our products and services and not just have them improve Goldman Sachs, but improving the entire financial community is both inspiring, it's also very exciting. And so as we create more and more of these opportunities, as we move into this digital world, we see that being a great attractor for talent. Don, excellent discussion. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. That concludes this episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. I'm Jake Seward. Thanks for listening. This podcast was recorded on January 12th, 2016. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast is not financial research, nor a product of Goldman Sachs Global Investment Research. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.